there's usually three potential answers to any question. Yes, no, or wait. Waiting has always been one of my very least favorite things. And so that is why in this episode, you're getting some wisdom and insight into how to not only survive those seasons of waiting, but how to place your trust in Christ in the middle of them. This is the Joyful to Eater podcast, and I'm your host, Brittany Braswell. Today, I'm bringing Christy Dondero Betwi to share some encouragement and practical advice to help you navigate your way through those seasons of waiting in recovery. Christy is the executive director of Rock Recovery, a faith-based nonprofit that provides both clinical and community support to help those seeking recovery from disordered eating. Now, if like me, you too get impatient when you're told to wait for an answer, then this episode is especially for you, my friend, because by the end of this conversation, you're going to be challenged and encouraged to embrace the waiting and to lean into the Lord even more. So stick around until the end, because we're also sharing some incredible resources to help support you in your own recovery journey. Welcome to the Joy-Filled Eater Podcast, the show that helps you cultivate a joy-filled relationship with food, your body, and Jesus. My name is Brittany Braswell, and I'm a Christ-centered registered dietitian and eating disorder recovery coach on a mission to help you break free from the bondage of food guilt and body shame so that you can start fueling your physical, mental, and spiritual health all from a place of joy. We'll be spilling the tea on all things diet culture, even in the church. Think of this as your weekly dose of nutrition and body image real talk mixed with biblical encouragement from your Southern bestie. If you love Jesus, are sick of having negative body image, and wish food didn't feel so complicated, then welcome, friend. This show is for you. So grab your coffee, get comfy, and prepare to be challenged. This is the Joyful Eater Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Joyful Eater podcast. We are back for another week, and I have a wonderful guest this week, Christy Dondero. I'm so excited that you are here. Christy is with Rock Recovery, which if you guys are not familiar with Rock, um, absolutely stick around because you're going to want to hear, especially as we kind of wrap up at the end, we'll tell you about some of Rock's different resources, but they are a wonderful faith-based Um, just hub for lots of different types of resources. So we're going to talk to you guys about that some. Um, But Christy is here today because we're really going to dive into something that I, I tend to get a lot of questions about, I feel like from a lot of different areas that all come back to this concept of waiting. And Christy, I will tell you, like, I, I hate waiting. That is one of my least favorite things. I was always told growing up, like, okay, when the Lord's going to answer prayers, it's going to be yes, no, or wait. And I was like, oh, just give me the no if it's no now, but don't make me wait. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, so so we'll jump into that a little bit today um, because I know in the waiting process, uh, or I should say maybe in the recovery process, there's tends to be lots of seasons of waiting. Um, it might be for weeks, it might be months, it might be years where you've got those specific prayers that you feel like maybe aren't being heard or you feel like you're just waiting on God to show up and that can feel really, really difficult. So we're going to jump into that in a minute. Before we do that, I would love, Chrissy, if you would um, give everybody just a little bit of background, tell them just a little bit about um, who you are, where you're from, um, and then we'll jump into some of Rock's stuff as well. But give us a little give us a little intro and backstory for you and how you became involved with Rock. 
Sure. So you did pronounce my name right. So I'm Christy Dondera Betway. I was really attached to my maiden name. I got married a little later in life, so I made it my middle name. So I just use them all. Um, but I live in Washington, D.C. in the suburbs. Now I moved out of the city, but we I've been here for about um, gosh, 12 years now, I think is what I think. Yeah, is that true? 12 years. I moved to D.C. 12 years ago, and I am now the executive director for Rock Recovery. We're, like you said, a faith-based nonprofit here that help bridge gaps that keep people from getting the treatment they need and deserve their eating disorder and body image healing and I got involved with rock through the holy spirit and the internet where I find most good things right so (laughs) I had been living in North Carolina and that's where I went through my own recovery so I've been recovered now for a little bit over 15 years and when I went through treatment my parents were able to help you know put money into my account every week and sort of pay for it and really help support me on that way and along the journey I met people who kind of were where they started when I met them years earlier because they couldn't afford treatment and they couldn't access the resources that they needed. So I Googled like affordable eating disorder treatment and I'm sure as many of you all know, there's not much out there. So Rock Recovery had just been founded by a wonderful woman named Carrie Larson a few months earlier than that. And then I came to DC for a wedding, met with the founder, fell in love and just decided to kind of uproot my whole life and move up here to volunteer. And then I wound up eventually raising my own salary and support raising and came on staff 10 years ago in April. So it's been a real journey. I, I love that. And I love too that you mentioned like you had such a passion for this and sounds like felt a lot of the Lord's leading to say, this is what I want you to do. And it didn't come with that security net of like, okay, well, here's the salary and here's these benefits and let's just make it easy. Right. So yes, exactly, exactly. And the Lord, oh, yeah. the it's Lord always provides where he leads. Right. So I, I won't get into my backstory, but I came into private practice in a sort of similar way. Um, and so I just, I love to, to hear other people's stories on, on putting their trust in God when they didn't know, which is what really we're talking about today in a slightly different capacity. Um, so thank you for that introduction and a little bit of background. And when it, when it comes to trust, when you kind of uprooted your life and relocated to really just get involved in rock recovery, um, you had already been in recovery yourself for a while. And so before we kind of jump into sort of those, what are those seasons of waiting and how do we really trust God through that? Um, I think it might help maybe for our listeners to, to talk a little bit about what it means or what it looks like to trust God, because there's, there's often some difference in faith and trust, or sometimes we use them interchangeably. So um, what would you say first off, what do you feel like for you especially, and maybe even specific to recovery if you want to go there, what do you feel like it means to trust God? I mean, I think for me, trust is actually, it's funny that this is what we're talking about today because I feel like I'm the worst at trusting God. So uh, I you know, it's definitely a humbling thing in so many ways and a lesson I feel like that God keeps sort of helping nudge me along the journey. But, you know, faith, to me is it's more than belief but it does feel like a lot of belief like you can know certain things believe certain things and then the trust piece of belief is something a little bit deeper where you're actually placing your weight on it like you might say I believe these things know all the right things to say even know all the right things to believe and then at the end of the day I often still live my life differently like I know God has me I know God's in control I know all these things but I don't act that way oftentimes day to day you know I'm often sort of making my to-do lists, putting my own trust in my own actions and activities and kind of forgetting to pause and pray along the way. So 
I would say really trusting in God is surrendering and submitting in a unique way where we're getting to the end of ourselves and we're trusting, you know, I, we talk a lot about this in um, some of the recovery groups that we do at Rock, but the idea of signing a blank sheet of paper and being like, okay, God, here you go. Like you get to fill in whatever's on top of this, but I'm signing my name to it. Like in a way, that's what trust is. I feel like, you know, we're saying, okay, like we really do believe you. We believe you are who you say you are. We believe you have what's best for us. We believe you love us. So cool. Like here's where I sign and you get to do the rest. Yeah. So, so I hear from that. It's almost like I'm going to take this action and I'm going to commit to it before I know what's coming. And I, I definitely feel that way when it comes to trust. Like faith is that knowing and that belief and that confidence that God says what he's going to do. He's going to fulfill what, what, whatever his promise was. And then trust is going, now I'm going to put that like belief in action. I'm going to do something about it. Right. Like the, the cliche, I feel like example we hear so often is like sitting in a chair, right? Like I can look at the chair and go, okay, I know it's well-made. I'm, I have faith that it's going to hold me up, right? But then you have to actually sit in it in order to to put that in action. So um, I love that. That's a beautiful example of that. And I know that's a big struggle for so many people in recovery because there's always that difference in that head and heart knowledge of saying, okay, I maybe I know recovery is possible, but I, I believe I have faith that it is. Maybe I'm starting to have faith that it's possible for me, but I'm not sure I fully trust it or I'm not sure maybe I trust God but I'm not really sure I totally trust the process yet um and like I said before like waiting is is one of my least favorite things um for for years my husband and I waited to be able to start a family um and I grew really weary in that season of waiting going like God I know you've promised this I know you've told me I'm gonna be a mom one day I believe that but I'm starting to really doubt either when it's going to happen or if you really meant it, like you, you kind of get in those seasons where you're like, I, I did believe, or I was sure. And now I don't, I'm kind of lacking some of that. So um, for you, Christy, in your own recovery process, and maybe even what you've seen in others too, however you want to approach it, what have some of those seasons of waiting, especially in recovery looked like for you? Yeah. I feel like for me, I actually came to faith while I recovered. So I'm sort of an interesting backstory there. So I know I joke that God knew how to get me. So I actually um, met a cute guy at a bar who asked me to go to church. So that's the edgy story. But um, I wound up going to this church, not really sure I believed in God, not really knowing what I believed at all. But I knew that my life had gotten really unmanageable. I was really struggling with an eating disorder. I didn't put that language to it at the time, but... I'd been having anxiety attacks. I'd been really struggling. I I just graduated from college about six months earlier. And so I stumbled upon this church and they were running a program called New ID, which is a six week course for anyone struggling with an eating disorder. Rock now runs it. I run it now quarterly for us virtually. But uh, I remember sitting in that church and hearing this woman say, okay, there's this course coming up, complete freedom from eating disorders as possible. You know, if you want to learn more, come to me. And I remember thinking, I don't think I have an eating disorder, but I don't like how I'm living with food. I bet this will help me get more control over my eating if I go to this Mm -hmm. course, right? And then I go to the course and realize I need to surrender control. I actually do have an eating disorder. God actually is real as a whole long story. But, you know, I I kind of had this whole pivotal moment there. But so I had a pretty dramatic initial encounter with God where I was like, whoa, I really can trust you. Like you really 
showed up for me. Like you pulled me out of the pit, right? Like I was living in this really tough season. I didn't know what else to do. And I feel like God really like plucked me out, like came to me, pulled me out. And I had just started getting a scripture a day emailed to me. And after the first day I went to that eating disorder, new ID course, the, the next day, the scripture that was emailed to me was the scripture we covered the night before. And I remember just like weeping and being like, oh my gosh, God, you're real. Because I didn't know much about the Bible at the time, but I knew it was a pretty big book. Mm-hmm. And if the fact that, you know, that one scripture had been had been emailed me the next day that we had covered the night before, I just was like, wow, God, you're real. And so I didn't have a long history with God to draw back on in my seasons of waiting, but I did have some really tangible moments like that where I was like I didn't make that up that's not a coincidence like God really is who he says he is and God really does care and so as I went through recovery you know it's it's messy it's painful it's tough but I was able to really sort of think through well I mean I don't like waiting I I like you I don't like waiting I don't like not being in control my first sentence as a kid was not the boss of me so like (laughs) (laughs) which like might still be my favorite sentence I don't know it's just there are some things sort of ingrained in us and I think the idea of like no one being in charge of me also is really independent like you become really self-contained I got married in my in my early to mid-30s and so I was really used to sort of doing what I wanted being in control and suddenly I have this other person that I'm submitting my life to and caring for and I was like whoa 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 like you're not the boss of me like what's going on and I feel like that was something for me my personality still is like that, but in recovery, being able to realize well, God is the boss of me and God can be trusted, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are a few people who can really be trusted to submit ourselves to. And I feel like God is trustworthy. And so as I was waiting, as I, w- I remember one time just sitting in my therapist's office, like crying and being like, Melissa, babies are better at eating than me. Like, this is so frustrating. Like, I don't know how to not make progress. I don't know how to not do things well. Like I'm such an achieving personality. I'm an Enneagram three. It's kind of the best and the worst. And so (laughs) I just remember being like so frustrated and feeling so stuck, but being able to kind of think back to like, okay, I'm stuck. I don't know what's going on. And yet, like, I think God has me here, like kind of pulling on those memories and those pieces of the past, being able to think through where God was calling me was really helpful. Yeah. So being able to just, I love that you said you didn't, you didn't have this long history with the Lord leading up to this recovery process. And yet you, you mentioned like a couple of different ways that you like those, it's almost like those little gifts the Lord gives you just to remind you, Hey, I'm here. I'm real. Like you can trust me. And that can be a really hard thing to rely on when maybe you've grown up with a little more of that independence. They're like, I got this, I can do it. Cause it takes a lot of intentionality and vulnerability to say, okay, God, I'm not, I'm going to intentionally allow you to be in charge. Not that he's never, he wasn't always in charge, right? But to say, like, I'm going to choose to accept and admit that and give you full permission, give myself permission to, like, get out of the driver's seat, right? And say, okay, God, you, like, your plans are better. So with as hard as that can be, and I know marriage, marriage was a bit of the same, like, shock for me, like, okay, I can't just make independent decisions anymore, right? We have to do that with the Lord, but there's something so beautiful about doing that too. It can feel really scary, but there's really a lot of freedom in surrender. I know you mentioned like, that's a big part of my own story too, with my infertility journey is trading control for surrender. And so with that, you mentioned that the Lord 
you got that scripture, right, that you had gone over the night before and got it in your email. What are some other ways that that you noticed God kind of amidst that period of waiting? Like, what are some of the ways that um, that you saw him show up that helped build your faith and trust during that time? Yeah, I feel like there were so many ways that God did meet me where I was. And that's like the beautiful thing, right, is that God does meet us in every moment. We don't have to get it all right or clean ourselves up before God's, God's with us, whether or not we necessarily feel it or believe it. And so I think for me, I just remember a lot of just really tearful moments, like writing in my journal or reading old journals or praying or sitting or like I mentioned, talking with my therapist and just feeling so stuck. But then, you know, little baby steps, like little breakthroughs that happen along the way. There'd be small things that I felt like I'd never be able to stop doing or I'd never be able to, to do this certain thing, like a food I was really afraid of eating. And then suddenly I had it twice that week and I was like, whoa. And I think for me, the trust and the waiting, I was wanting 100% there. Like I wanted to finish the journey. I wanted to feel like I was totally moved on. I wanted all of the healing and all of the big sweeping breakthroughs. And that's not how recovery works. And that's not really how life or faith works too, right? I mean, yes, God can do big, beautiful, miraculous Mm -hmm. things, like totally fair. And so often it's the little steps and the baby steps and the faithful pieces along the way. So for me, I feel like I would just ask God to, to meet me in every moment and sort of begin to sort of give God credit for the baby steps to sort Mm -hmm. of see the breakthrough and the small healing, like starting to appreciate the small steps along the way, right along the journey, even if it's like a 10 mile journey and I made three steps, like that's still three steps. So, and I was able to kind of see God's hand in those three steps and to feel like it wasn't all a waste or I wasn't totally alone was really helpful too. And that's such a great thing to focus on because we want to focus on what are those big recovery milestones and God, if you do this, if this happens, then I know it's you, right? We, we have that mentality sometimes. So it can be, it can require some of that focus and intentionality, not only to notice the small steps, the baby steps or those little, what we feel like are little wins along the way, but to go, God, you had a hand in this. Right. And I think a lot of, um, a lot of the personality type that comes to mind for myself and for so many of the the clients that I've worked with is that like type A perfectionistic, we already talked about control to some degree, right? So how did that sort of perfectionistic type tendencies, how did that show up for you? And what did it look like to kind of start letting that go while you are focusing on noticing all of those, those baby steps along the way? Yeah. And I'm like chuckling because I remember the first night after I went to that new ID course and I realized, oh my gosh, look, I do have an eating disorder. How did I struggle for all these years? I struggled for about 10 years before I really put words to my, what was going on. And I remember, but once the light switch sort of turned on and the light bulb turned on in my head, I was like, oh, well, I have an eating disorder and I'm going to be the greatest, fastest, most efficient person to ever recover who ever recovered. And so, (laughs) you know, like I'm going to do it so great. And so I remember that night I came home and I have been journaling since I was like eight, like, which, you know, they get a little better as time goes on. But I was like, man, I had a lot of feelings about, you know, my locker as an eight year old, but whatever. But (laughs) I like went back that night and I was 23 when I went through this course. 
And I remember reading through all of my old journals and my roommate at the time came home and she was like, hey, sweetie, how, how, to, how to go tonight? I'm just kind of curious what's going on. And I was like, well, Nancy, like I have an eating disorder. I don't know how it started, but I'm going to read all these journals, trace back when it happened, and I'm going to like make this plan. And like I'll probably be better, better by the end of the six weeks and it's all going to be great. And she was like, uh-huh. Yeah, did they give you a referral list for any like therapists or dietitians or anything? You know, so um, they had, and I did call, which was great. And some got some good clinical outpatient work too. But I remember just being like, "Oh, I'm gonna do this all." But of course, that's not how it works. Like I just laughed because you know, that was just the first night. But very slowly over time, I realized I need other people. I need to be vulnerable. I need to surrender. I need to let God do what God needs to do without me trying to get in the driver's seat. And that was really, really challenging because I, I do have those sort of controlling type A personality tendencies. And that's what was so hard, I think, about recovery is it is often two steps forward, one step back. And that was devastating for me because I wanted all the steps forward, none mm-hmm. of the steps back. And realizing that's part of the process, like this is how it works. God is so faithful. God gives us grace. Like all the things really helped me along the way. But it was it was definitely painful to not be the best, most efficient recovery recovered person ever. Right. Because, because it's so easy to go from, okay, I'm going to be the best at my eating disorder. I'm going to be the best quote unquote healthiest or whatever it is, whatever that like mm-hmm. eating disorder, essentially to do list, like the things that happen all the time going, Oh, I checked the box today. I'm, I'm healthy or I'm whatever the goal is. Right. And then when it switches to recovery, it's like, okay, if I can apply that same mentality, surely this is going to, going to help me recover faster and more efficient. And so I love that you shared that because I hear so often, like almost verbatim, I feel like Brittany, I took two steps forward this week and then one step back. And we have to stop and go, your your net progress was forward, right? Like you just, you're sitting here focusing on the one step back. Or maybe sometimes it's even slightly different. It's, I, I felt like last week I went leaps and bounds and I made all these great things. And this week I don't really feel like I moved at all. And it doesn't, it may not be, hey, I feel like I took steps backwards, but I feel like I just didn't make any more progress. And I'm, I feel like that perfectionistic mindset can is something that the, the enemy tries to warp so often to go, well, you should be making like consistent progress. Right? It should be like a gradual incline every week. And the longer you go, the better it gets. And I think something that I just want to repeat that I hope everybody heard, Christy, and that what you said is you weren't just taking this course. You looked for providers to support you and a community. There's, there is something so incredibly powerful about letting your guard down saying, Hey, me too. Like, let me, let me air what I feel like is my junk or my trouble in this. And so did you have, what were some of those types of communities that you found? Because I feel like it for, for so many people that want recovery, they don't, they don't even know where to go looking. Um, so what was maybe even just your first step to go, okay, how can I find some community or find people that get it, or at least not feel like I'm going through this process alone? Yeah, absolutely. We talk a lot about this at Rock. We, we need to coin it. I don't know how you trademark this, but the idea of like the gift, but so don't steal it, but, um, but the gift of, I get it, like having someone be like, oh, I get it. It's kind of the whole me too thing, right? Yeah. But just, yeah. There is, and of course, everyone's journey is different, both in the struggle and in the recovery process, and yet there's this shared sort of core experience where Mm -hmm. I remember when I went through this new ID course, I remember thinking, I'm not going to open my mouth. I'm not saying a word, but I'm the only person who ever thought these things or did these things, and when I heard someone else across the room say the exact same thing I thought 
30,000 times, I was like, whoa, whoa, like the shame just really rolled off of me, right? So I think, I mean, for me, I found a recovery group pretty quickly because it sort of found me. Is that this church that I was going to, that I just started going to before I even became a Christian, you know? So I, I feel like that sort of found me. So I was really, I'm really grateful that I sort of stumbled my way into this community immediately upon off the bat. And then from there, I was able to build some deeper relationships with people who were a part of the group with me. And I had really wonderful friends. So I just graduated college about six months earlier than this. And I have wonderful friends from school, but a lot of them struggled with their own stuff and didn't necessarily want to take the steps to be better or to be Mm -hmm. healthier, to be more whole. And so I had to put a lot of boundaries in place between the people in my life already. So not saying I can't be friends with you, like you're off my list, but you're off my island, but just more of like, okay, let's go for a walk or let's get coffee instead of getting dinner or let's like go see a movie. I was kind of thinking through what activities felt safe and non-triggering with these people. And if they started to make comments about food or weight or whatever, I'd say like, hey, you know, I just am not in a place where I can hear that or talk about that. Can you please change the subject and sort Mm -hmm. of advocating for myself? But I do think the community was such a huge part because you can't just go sit alone in your room and read all your journals and try to figure out what went wrong, you know, or even yeah. what to do right. Um, we need other people. We need their insight. And just because we believe something doesn't mean it's true. We say that all the time to our clients, right? Like, just because you believe it doesn't mean it's true. Right. And so that's why it helps of other people to be that sounding board to help us know when it's the enemy, when it's true, when it's maybe pain. Like, what are we, what are we, what kind of ears are we listening with? And that, so yeah, the community I think is absolutely pivotal, both in finding healthy people to be around and maybe putting up boundaries for those that you need some more space from in that healing process. I, I feel like I need to do a whole episode on boundaries because that yeah. that is such something something that feels difficult, I think, for a lot of people is learning what to say no to and what to say yes to in recovery. And boundaries are so, so important um, in that process. And especially with relationships like relationships can be something incredibly helpful for the recovery process and at the same time for most people they've had some sort of relational impact that's negatively affected their recovery process as well or their struggle with with disorder eating or negative body image Um, and whether they can look back at journals and trace oh hey this kid said this thing about me in the second grade right we might not all be able to do that but most people have some sort of memory whether it's on a daily basis or something that happened, you know, at one time, several years or months before that, that impacted the way they start viewing food or their body. And so my encouragement, and it sounds like, I won't speak for both of us, Chrissy, you can add to this or say like, oh, this is different. But even though relationships and people can feel really scary, because you have to be vulnerable with people and you can't control people right? So if you struggle with control and you know you can't control somebody else's words or their response, it can make opening yourself up to those deeper relationships, especially in recovery, kind of difficult. But it also has the potential to create so much life-giving support and freedom. So um, knowing that you have kind of that sort of hindsight now and that insight moving forward when it comes to support and relationships, is there any other, are there any other, um, either aspects of community or maybe other just lessons you feel like you've learned throughout the recovery process, but especially in those seasons of waiting that you would want a listener to hear that you feel like, I know you're waiting right now. or know you feel like maybe God doesn't hear you or I know you're struggling in this phase of the process, but is there a, a word of wisdom, something that you learned during those seasons of waiting that maybe you wouldn't have experienced without it? 
think two things come to mind. One is, I mean, I feel like I was thinking during recovery, it's like if one more person tells me to keep a gratitude journal, like I'm going <laughs> to scream. But there really is something to, for my brain and so many people who struggles, I feel like my brain latches on to the quote-unquote negative or the hard more than the the healing and the good, right? So Mm -hmm. I think for me, building the discipline of noticing the good, both in the day-to-day and in my past was really helpful, sort of, you know, the building up the Ebenezer Stone type thing, but really being able to take stock and reflect on what God had done, what God is doing, and just like the beautiful gifts of each day, even when things were hard. I just always think about the psalm of better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And, you know, I, I can really speak to that from both recovery and sort of my faith conversion perspective is even my best day prior to recovery and sort of coming to faith like that still paled in comparison to my worst day since and so there's just something good to think about I don't know the joy and the blessing and the deeper the depth I guess of the experience we get to have with God there's something so much deeper and then the other piece I'd say in this is kind of going back to community is having people to help remind you what's good and true because when we get discouraged it can be really tough and so having friends community family whoever that just sort of reminds us of not and not in a Pollyanna or in a diminishing way like this isn't toxic positivity either like right. that is not at all what I'm saying like that's very dangerous and very bad um, however I think there is something to having people either sit with you and just hold the grief with you and not try to be like oh but God's got this right that's mm-hmm. not at all what I'm saying I think that can be really diminishing actually but having people be with you and be like yeah this is really hard I really see you I really hear you like and like I believe more for you and want more with you and like let's pray about that or like what do you need right now right so just having people kind of hold space with me in the hard and help to encourage me, I think was really helpful when I was tempted to sort of spiral on my own or for, or feel really alone. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's really, sometimes that I feel like is one of the biggest benefits of community is we don't always need or want something quote unquote fixed, right? We just need to know that like somebody sees me, I'm heard, I'm understood. I'm not crazy. Somebody gets it. Right. Like you just said, like <laughs> it's that that blessing or that gift of I get it. Um, and that's so important. And I, I think some people don't realize how valuable that can be in the recovery process. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll just keep pressing in on that need for for community for sure. So um, if if someone is listening right now and they're they are in one of those seasons of waiting. Right. And there could be lots of those throughout the recovery process. If you were going to just give us, maybe just share a couple of practical strategies, either that you used in your own recovery or maybe that you've even learned since going through that process yourself. Um, are there any strategies that you would recommend to someone to, if they're in that season to, to practice not only putting their faith in God, but to practice placing their trust in him that will help them to take recovery focused action? Yeah, I think this is also kind of corny, but the idea of remembering who and whose we are, that was something that I started to really meditate on and start repeating to myself, like, okay, Chris, remember who you are and whose you are. Because so much of my healing from my eating disorder was kind of redetermining and really uncovering my deeper values and what I believed in and what made me me and what made me valuable. And of course, faith for me was obviously a pivotal experience in that. And so just sort of recalling like, if I was tempted to act on a behavior or tempted to sort of spiral into something, kind of scaling that back and thinking about, okay, what is true? Like, 
what do I value? What makes me what makes me valuable? What does God say about me? Like all those kinds of things and sort of repeating what was true, whether it be scripture or just wisdom from friends or or anything else. That was so helpful just to sort of keep me from sort of spiraling, you know? Mm-hmm. And um the acronym I, I helped you a lot too was the whole stop, like stop, think, observe and pray. So in the moment, just sort of like taking pause you know, breathing, being still, all the annoying things. I feel like it's just like all the things that I don't want to do even now. But sort of taking space and pausing was super helpful for me as far as like the more practical piece. And then, I don't know, also being real, like not skipping over the hard. We I, we think a lot about emotions. I think often we'll label them as good or bad, just like we label food good or bad. And like, that's not true, right? Like there's no good food, there's no bad food. Mm-hmm. And there's no good emotion, there's no bad emotion. I mean, some feel more positive and pleasant than others, but like we need to feel hurt and pain and disappointment and all the things. And I think I had really fast forwarded through those emotions to try to, because I just didn't like the feeling of the hard. Mm-hmm. And so for me, a lot of it too was figuring out how to sit with the emotion and feel the emotion. Even the other day I was talking to my girlfriend and we were like, we can talk about feelings all day long. Like cerebrally, I can think about them, talk about them. Like, oh, you want me to sit with my feeling? Ooh, I'm busy that day. So sorry. Uh-huh. Right? So right. I feel like sitting with the feeling um, was something that I, maybe I was even better at, honestly, during recovery than I am now 15 years later, but that was a big thing too. <laughs> yeah. And, and with that, something, um, something that I see women struggling with, and I don't know if this is just, if I just see it more in the Christian space, because I'm so involved and engulfed in that, that recovery space, but I hear so many Christian women and clients and students that come to me saying like, like, I don't always feel like it's okay to to be disappointed or to feel some level of depression or anxiety because they've been I'll just use the term like spiritually gaslighted right where exactly. they're like oh, yeah. oh well just just trust God in that right and so they might have this this belief that like okay well I should be grateful like and yes we want to absolutely practice those like you mentioned like gratitude journaling or I, I use the term kind of success journaling sometimes right like write down the things that you've noticed are progress but it doesn't have to be that way all the time. And you've got to practice being able to not just recognize, but really allow yourself to, to feel those things that are harder. Um, sometimes that's a huge gateway into recovery because you got to let things out to make room for, for more. Right. And some of, some of that is just saying, okay, God, I, I trust you with my feelings too. Right. I trust that when I'm feeling depressed, that you do have the ability to, to comfort me, right. Or to bring people around to do that. Like it's, it's okay. And there are safe spaces. I've realized I'm not going to put a blanket statement and say, it's always safe to feel everything all the time because you may not be around people, right. That, that you feel safe experiencing certain emotions around. And that's again, why it's so helpful to have providers and support and community. But I love that you mentioned that Christy, because those feelings matter, right. There are no good and bad feelings and it's okay to experience all of them and you were created by a good god that gave you the capacity to experience those too so um i feel like this has been a really helpful conversation for so many listeners um so i would love because i know rock has a lot of resources for people who um, when i get people come that come to me because i see all my clients virtually they're like you know, I didn't, I don't know of anyone in my area or I can't find a therapist or how do I get involved with groups when 
you know, I live in this small town and I can't find anything close by. So I would love it if you would share um, what are just some simple ways if people want to learn a little bit more about um, about what you do or about rock recovery and how maybe they can get some additional support there. Um, I would love if you would share with us a little bit about what you guys offer. Yeah, so we offer faith-based nationwide support groups that are mostly six weeks and some are ongoing devotional-based groups. So those are all virtual and all on our website, which is rockrecoveryed.org. And we do lots of different cycles. The new ID course that I mentioned a lot, it's part of my story, is one that we actually do run quarterly. So that's coming up again in the early summer. And then we also provide therapy groups and individual therapy for people who live in Maryland, D.C., and Virginia. We do it in person here in Arlington, Virginia, but also um, across states of Maryland and Virginia, and then also D.C. virtually. And we do a lot of group meal support, body image therapy, and then again, also individual therapy. And since we're a nonprofit and have lovely, generous donors who make our services available to all, we also have sliding scale rates. So cost is never a barrier for people. That's amazing. Yeah, that is something that um, that I saw when I when I worked in the treatment center setting. Cost is such a huge barrier, and even in, in private practice too. So I love that you guys make that possible, that there are donors and scholarships and sliding scale available. That's something we've just started as well to try to, I'm, I'm really passionate about making sure that people can get support and treatment um, and that cost doesn't have to be the biggest barrier because I know for a lot of people it can be. So um, so yeah, thank you so much for sharing about that. We'll make sure we link up some of Rock Recovery's resources in the show notes for you guys um, and we'll make sure to share them through social media. So if y'all are listening right now and you don't have, you're driving or you're doing laundry and you can't scroll the show notes, um, just tag this episode, save it so you can come back later and check it out. Um, and then Christy, is there anything else we hadn't talked about today that you just want to wrap up with or just a final word of encouragement for someone who is maybe in one of those seasons of waiting right now, working on trusting the Lord? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's, Again, so many corny phrases in recovery, and I like. I, wish I love them better all. ways to say. I know they're so good, and they're also so annoying when you're in it, right? Because I feel like I, I, I don't know if I could go back fifteen, however many years, and be like, "Uh, future Christy, you're really annoying. Like, leave me alone. Stop being so positive." But you know, there really is something to hindsight, and so and just belief. I think hope is such a difference, and we were talking about this earlier, right? Like hearing stories of people who are recovered can be really hopeful. It can also be really tough because you can sort of compare yourself or be like, oh, why her and not me? But I guess what I would say is like, if it's possible for me, it is possible for you. And so just to figure out, but it'll look different for you. So, you know, asking God what that looks like for you, figuring out what your journey might be uniquely, but just, but just believing and having hope for your future that there is something more and that one day you will look back and just really be able to see a little bit more of redemption. You know, it's, in some ways, I'd say I'm grateful for my struggle. In some ways, I'd say, of course, it was horrible and I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But I, I do feel grateful that I can look back and see God's hand of redemption in it. I love my work at Rock Recovery. I never would have chosen this life. I mean, God literally, it's a whole other story. Someone prophesied and prayed over me. A stranger told me I was going to do this work. And I was like, cool, bye, okay. And so here we are, right? <laughs> yeah. So there really is redemption. And I think a lot about the verse from Joel and where God says, I'll restore the years the swarming locusts have eaten. And I just really can see that now in my own life. And I just really believe that for others, that there really is restoration and redemption. So just try to hang on to that hope. Love it. I love it. Um, if y'all missed that last one, back up 30 seconds and listen to it again. Because there, there is, there's something about having that piece of hope 
in recovery, that if you don't have that, and if you don't truly believe that recovery is possible for you, that praying into that, getting some support around you just to say, like, I don't have hope, but I want it, right? Like, I want to believe that it's possible. Like, help me believe that it is. There's something so powerful about that, and God can do God can do absolutely anything. He works miracles in ways that feel big and small. So um, thank you again for being here with us today, Christy. You guys be sure to check out Rock Recovery's resources. You can find um, other ways to support Rock and to support the Joyful Eater podcast in the show notes um, to help make scholarships possible for those who who are seeking treatment and recovery. Maybe that's you. Um, So thank you guys for listening today. And as always, until next week, friends, may you be filled with joy and abound in hope. Odds are, if you're hearing my voice right now, you might be a Christian woman who feels like food and nutrition are too complicated and that you'll have to struggle with negative body image for the rest of your life. And this podcast is here to help with that. On this show, I'm going to be sharing everything I know and continue to learn about how to cultivate a joy-filled and peaceful relationship with food in your body. But let's face it, it would take me years to share that kind of knowledge and strategy with you here through our free weekly episodes. And the thing is, Food freedom can be a really isolating process when you try to go it alone. So if you've been wanting to add some fuel to the fire on your path to food and body peace so that you can start seeing more confidence and improved physical and mental health now, I invite you to consider joining the Joy-Filled Eater Live. This is the high-touch coaching program that I've created to educate and coach Christian women like you, and it's how dozens of women have stopped hating their bodies or looking to the scale for validation. Through this program, you'll get the blueprint and step-by-step process that you need to reach your food and body freedom goals, along with the accountability required to light a fire under you to implement what you've been learning and take some much-needed action. You'll also get live coaching from me personally every single week. Plus, when you join, you get immediate access to on-demand and live bonus trainings from therapists, Christian authors and speakers, strength coaches, and others so that you can better approach your physical and mental wellness holistically. You'll also join a community of other Christian women who are already eating more intuitively and are ready to help you do the same. So yes, you can absolutely rely on the episodes of this free podcast to help you ditch diet culture and start seeing some results on your own food freedom journey. Or you can fast track your path to freedom and do it in a way that's much more enjoyable and that will help you to be full of confidence as you take your next steps. So if you're ready to commit to getting rid of food rules and not letting the scale dictate the trajectory of your day, then click the link in the show notes and fill out an application and you'll be on your way to joining the Joy-Filled Eater Live. I'll see you inside the program.